you are tuned into What's Glup, a show about our favorite glups in Star Wars here on Podathon 22. I am your host, Katrina Dennis, and here on What's Glup, we talk about our favorite characters in Star Wars that you wouldn't quite guess at first. I'm really excited to be here today with my special guest, Mike Chen, writer of Star Wars Brotherhood. Hello, Mike. How are you? Hello to Ventress's owner, <laughs> Queen of all things adventurous, Katrina yeah. Jinx. Thank you. I started this show because she is like love. And so she is all of our gloves. I know. She's just in this special place. Never even parts. And now she's just like over the past like year or so, she's just been making like big comebacks in Star Wars media. So you, you can imagine. I'm very Should we tell everyone that when I was writing Brotherhood, I would DM you with Ventress questions because you are the queen of Ventress? Yeah. I was so excited. Like, uh, just, I mean, you have no idea. Like, when I cracked open the, like, the arc of, of that book, I, like, danced around my apartment. I took a picture. I like, showed my dad. I was like, what a Wardo. So glad that I could help and that, like, I, I was able to make this, this book as good as it was because, like, you did all the heavy lifting. I just told you how Ventress's belts work. So. That's right. <laughs> how would they flow if they're sitting down and she's trying to cover her lightsabers? That's all uh-huh. Katrina. Yeah, yes. That's my favorite scene when Obi-Wan takes a really good look at her hips. Um, <laughs> like, makes me really happy. Yeah. Thank you for that. Well, I'm so excited to have you here because I love talking about what people are passionate about in Star Wars. And uh, I know you've prepared a little bit ahead of time. So let's watch right into it. Sure. So who would you say was your first love in Star Wars and what made them stand out to you and drove your interest in them? My first glup in Star Wars is someone that I still think about to this day. And I really hope her comeback actually happens because there's been a delay in the project. But that's Bastila Shan from the original Knights of the Old Republic game. She is my first legit video game crush. After after thinking about it and like looking at who my other video game crushes are, I'm like, oh, I have this thing for beautiful, smart women who are mired with imposter syndrome. <laughs> like Le- like Liara Tassoni from Mass Effect, like mm-hmm. Evie Fry from Assassin's Creed Syndicate, like my wife, who is a brilliant scientist filled with imposter syndrome. <laughs> so I would say a big part of it, too, is is Jennifer Hale's performance. It's like part of it's the writing, but it's also I think like. You really see how much someone brings to a vocal performance for a video game, especially like in something that's 20 years old and they couldn't animate like the facial expressions as much. I think when comparing that sort of thing, I think about Assassin's Creed Odyssey because you have Cassandra and Alexios who have literally the same lines and Alexios is just played as a dude that you would expect. And Cassandra has so much depth to her. She's played with like imposter syndrome but also like some bitterness but also a lot of humor and a lot of heart that's just not there in the Alexios performance and I think back to um with Bastila Sean it was just like so much of it was the way Jennifer Hale portrayed her and so much so that like when I found out that Jennifer Hale was not British it was like whoa not Bastila Sean was British that's a good accent Jennifer Hale very effortless and smooth related to Knights of the Old Republic they're like one of my glups from there was HK-47. And so when they brought back HK droids in, in The Mandalorian, like I definitely, I sat up and I pointed at the screen like Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, HK I droids love- are in Brotherhood. 
Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, there were actually, I noticed like very specific callbacks to the old Republic and Brotherhood that I just like, mm-hmm. I really loved. And I completely agree with you on Bastilla as a character and kind of Bill's performance because I remember a point when you have to like, she's brought Revan back from the dark side. Now Revan has to go bring her back. And like that, I think that transitional like relationship between them was so impactful to me because she wasn't just like one of my first loves, like, they were one of my first ships. And that's really hard to do with like a POV character. Yeah. Like Revan is just whoever the player is. But I believe that it was like Bastilla's performance and Bastilla's investment, especially like if you're a guy in that you get the romance route, which I think should be changed in the updated version. But I let's hope that thing actually comes out. Let's do that. Come on, Revan's a thing. I really love like that's what made it a believable relationship. It's what drove me as a player to like romance her and actually want to like play the dude route just so i can have my revin revila revila ship i like this they sound like ravioli and i also think that like that was like the basis for what a dark and light relationship could be and like how mm-hmm. those characters could help each other so like i'm so with you right there like i love bastila and i felt like with bastila and revin like they explored so much of like, I don't know how much the story group, like, takes this into account when they're plotting out, like, the future of Star Wars. But it feels like it's the foundation of what so much could be between, like, the light and the dark. And with, like, when you have a Jedi that's not quite certain of their place. Because it came out, like, right in the middle of the prequel trilogy, I believe, like, 2002 or 2003. It's, like, opened up the door in so many ways. And, and it's all... Jennifer Hale, if you are somehow watching this, like, hats off to you. You were awesome. Yeah. yeah, that was a legacy performance. I really hope they bring her back for the fingers trust. If it continues, if they bring yeah. it back, I hope she comes back. Everything that. has that asterisk. Like, if it actually comes out. on, Star Wars. I yeah. loved, I loved Bastila. And I, I think like Kodor is one of those series that like gives you a bunch of gloves. Like my glove from Kodor is from Kodor to the Sith Lords. It's Mira, who I just thought was such a fun character because one, you could not romance her. She did not have interest in you that way. And she just had these like, very, she had her like Han and Chewie relationship with her mm-hmm. Wookiee friend, but it was also just like a very unique agreement between them that like I loved. And I really cherish Kodor for like creating these characters that live with you forever, even though they're not canon anymore. Let's shout out to the ship, the Ebon Hawk, yes. uh, which was a an awesome junky ship and brought the class of ship back into brotherhood because I love that ship so much. <laughs> I love it. You guys, if you are anywhere near, like even a remote, like I see older public band, or even if you're not, I don't care. Please go read brotherhood. Cause it is so much. I fun. tried. I really tried. Oh man. Like it's so much fun. And it's like, I loved it because it felt like watching the clone wars, but it also like really felt like, I don't know, an elevated version of the Clone Wars, like cinematic in a way, and the way you presented scenes and wrote it. So like, I'm just... So what would you say is your favorite quote of Bastila's and why? So I was thinking about this question and I'm actually going to go to like my number two glup for this, a surprise pick, because I think about this quote much more because Bastila, like she says a lot, but it's like, there's no... I can't think of like too many like great like one liners. Like sometimes like she says things like when she's fighting. I think she says something like like for the force or something like that when she's fighting. But I think more about like her tone of voice and like the scenes themselves. But for a quote, 
I'm going to go with Galen Merrick, a.k.a. Starkiller from The Force Unleashed. So I'm sure most people hopefully know that he's played by Sam Witwer, who is the voice of Darth Maul, who also narrated my short story, Disturbance, mm-hmm. A Certain Point of View in Empire Strikes Back anthology. So whenever I think about The Force Unleashed, I think about this moment. It's near the end of the first Force Unleashed game, and Starkiller is searching for Juno Eclipse, who is like this long imperial with like a really cool haircut and like like she's his love interest in the force unleashed by the way so there's a photo from andor of an imperial who looks just like her and i saw that i'm like please be her please bring her back somehow but then the quote from this moment is just you're you're star killer you're wandering around a star destroyer like looking for her and he's just yelling juno Oh, like looking for her. And so like in the Sam Witwer yelling voice. And so I just think of that sometimes when I like when I see a star destroyer and like someone walking around it, like I just think of Sam Witwer yelling, Juno. That is my quote. <laughs> Single name being it. yelled out. Oh my gosh. I mean, his line delivery is just iconic in every way. Like he, yeah. the way he yells, he has now, I think. There's that line, and then, of course, like, the Kenobi scream, which is now in, like, remix, like, lo-fi songs that I... <laughs> I did not know that. I'm gonna Yeah, if you read, I'm not sure which Star Wars YouTube lo-fi channel it is, but there's just, like, one where it's, like, called Desert Planet or something. Mm-hmm. Just, like, in the middle of, like, all this chill music, like, he just screams Kenobi. <laughs> and then just look up from your work, like, okay, that was Sam. I was so excited when I when I wrote my my Palpatine story. I was thinking maybe they'll get Sam to do this because he would be the perfect voice for it. He does both Palpatine and also just like his Sithy Darth Maul delivery. And so when they told me that it was going to be him, my editor emails me. He's like, and I've heard it, and it sounds like Darth Maul is reading Palpatine's diary. And I'm like, and after I listened to it, I'm like, oh my God, this is, he's totally right. He's like, he's reading it in the Darth Maul voice, but he's reading like from Palpatine's point of view. I love it. I need to actually go read the audio book or listen to the audio book. I'm there, really it. There's a seven minute excerpt. If you look at the Penguin Random House SoundCloud, like if you Google like Penguin Random House, Sam Whitworth disturbance, it's like, you'll find it pretty easily. It's like seven or eight minutes long. So you get the, like the essence of Darth Maul reading Palpatine's diary. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look for that. Thank you. All right. So the very next question we have is what makes you feel like passionate about your clubs? Like how do they, how would you say you personally connect with yours? Why oh, it's, there's thinking about the, like the difference between Bastila and Starkiller. Like part of it is just, you get to spend time with them. I think the most important thing in in building character is really that sort of like quality time. With both of them, you go on like an immerse, an emotional journey of like discovery and and change too. So it's like you feel a lot of empathy for them. And for Star Killer, it was also he was a badass. And <laughs> you're like knocking down a star destroyer with your bare hands if you can get the controls to work. So I think it's definitely with I have found that as I've gotten I'm a very old person. So when I was young, I would play like sports video games and puzzle video games. And it was just like, oh, this is a fun mechanic. And I'm happy with that. And I hit a point about like maybe 10 or 15 years ago where like I need an emotional journey to go on. Like I really need to connect with these characters. Like the gameplay can be totally crappy. But as long as I connect with the characters, 
then I feel like I'm spending a lot of time with them. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. Like there's funny things like with HK47 where you're like, oh, he's just insulting everyone. And we've never seen a droid like that before. And he's like the template for jerk droid. <laughs> but then with, with the ones that I'm like, if they brought them back, it wouldn't just be like, oh, that's cool. It's like, oh, my my heart sings for Bastila Shaw. <laughs> I think it's really, it's the writing, it's the performance, it's the character arc, much more so than the game mechanics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I you mentioned that, and I was like, I thought HK ran or HK walked so that K two could run. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I remember when I saw K two for the first time. I'm like, oh, they took HK, but like not quite as evil. He's just like the same jerky mode, but like not a serial killer. I was waiting for him to say the word meatbag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not quite there yet. No, they yeah. just saved it. They saved it for HK. <laughs> Yeah, he's coming back. So you've talked a little bit about Bastila and, or actually, what what would you say are the most fun facts that you know about uh, mm. Bastila? So one of the cool things that I always thought with Bastila, and like, so I could be wrong about this because like it was 20 years ago, but I believe she was the first canon usage of a yellow lightsaber. I know in the Jedi Knight game, the one with Kyle Katarn, who... I have no emotional understanding <laughs> in those games. Um, but like, I remember like you could pick your lightsaber crystal, but it was like a character customization type of thing. Bastila actually, like she came with it and was part of who she was. And she had like a double bladed yellow lightsaber. And I think because there's so much Clone Wars media coming out at that time. And I don't think any of it, like even like comics and stuff, I don't believe that you saw a yellow lightsaber back then. So I think that's the first canon time it was used until rise of skywalker it might be but it was at least like the first the earliest time i think we saw it it was the first one i will say that ventress didn't have a yellow lightsaber before the rise of skywalker we got it it wasn't on screen it was meant to be in the dark disciple art that was going oh, right okay yeah because ferris took the the other lightsabers and what ventress did was she basically went on the black market and was like mm. oh that looks all right and the lightsaber just agreed with her. And then she sparked it up and it was, it shined gold. And yeah, so there's definitely, there's a couple more. Luke he uses one on and off now in the comics, which is pretty cool. But definitely I'd say that like the big usages were like Bastila, Ventress, and eventually mm -hmm. Rey, which I think is really cool because like they're all, they uniquely like diverge from what is and isn't when it comes to light and dark in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really Yes, agreed. Let me get a, a Star Killer fun fact because this was—I heard this at a con actually. I saw Sam at a panel, and he was telling us behind-the-scenes stories. And he said, like, when he was doing motion capture, because so for people who are listening who don't know this, Sam is one of us. Like, his level of knowledge is probably eclipses all of us, really. And so when they're doing mocap for the Force Unleashed, some of the staff would be like, "Okay, we're in between takes. Say, hey, Sam." this ship that we're on, does it really have the speed capabilities to go from here to there? And like, they would just ask him obscure technical details like that. And then he would just like go off for like 10 minutes, like, like citing all these things from memory, like from an RPG source book. And everyone would just be smirking at him in the background. And he was totally oblivious to what he thought. Everyone legit wanted to know like how fast can a TIE fighter actually go based on the twin ion engines or whatever. So I, I always... I remember the first time like, I heard that story. I'm like, he really is one of us. It was pretty awesome. He knows his stuff. Like, I, I'm 
constantly impressed by like exactly how much like Sam's knowledge ranges. And he's been with the fandom like his whole life. Yeah. It's it's great. Like I think in a way that he's come around to play mall and bring to life so many different characters. So yeah, and Sam Whitworth, that little guest Pakistan. Who would you say are beyond Bastila and Starkiller Core, your secondary gloves? Second tier gloves. Okay. I'm going to shout out to one of the most ridiculous ones that I inserted into Brotherhood. I can't believe they let me get away with this, honestly. I believe this character shows up in a Clone Wars comic as well. It's from Shadows of the Empire. So Shadows of the Empire was like the big media project that bridged the original Thrawn trilogy and the prequels coming out. So there's a bunch of bounty hunters. It's like War of the Bounty Hunters from the current arc is basically kind of riffing off what Shadows did. So there's a bounty hunter in Shadows of the Empire named Big Jizz. His re- full name is Gizman, but they call him Big Jizz. <laughs> if you look at his design, so he's a he's technically a Magonite, and he is peak 90s, like, he belongs on a surge can. He's, like, so extreme. He's, like, he buff he's got a red mohawk he's got like facial piercings and sunglasses and he looks like he should be at the x games or something like but his name is big jizz so someone in the lucasfilm hierarchy saw that and said yeah we can do that that's fine like no one seemed to think like this is not a good idea like maybe they were also burnt out from like we got to do like special edition work and we got to do like pre-production work on the prequels and we're doing Shadows of the Empire so maybe they were just really tired and they let Big Jizz get in there somehow. But yeah, so that I think Big Jizz he is mentioned in Brotherhood. He has a canonical encounter with Obi Wan and Anakin in like one passing line. I love that. I just love how like. You can get away with that word because it's just a musical style. It's, yes. That's what it is. So it's I, like, it's like the people who are nicknamed jazz. Like, yeah. there are a bunch of people nicknamed jazz. So it's like, what can you do to protest it? Yeah. That, that, that's like related. Like, how did this actually get into the vernacular of Star Wars? Like, I, no one thought this is a bad idea. But. So I need to look back in all of my source books and find out who came up with the word. Because whoever they are, they're a legend. I'm going to lay pop over now. So you uh, yourself, like speaking of brotherhood, you've connected, you've created so many interesting new characters. And I love reading through like your threads about them and especially like uh, several of their connections to DS9 and Mass Effect. So you, can you tell us a little bit on air about the inspiration between like behind new players like Mel and the new Padawans like Ami Katamaya and Noxie Kel? Like there's a few ones that like just stood out to me. I drew... I always draw, like in all of my writing, I draw a lot of inspiration from the media I'm consuming at the time. And so I was writing Brotherhood. We were showing our daughter a lot of the Miyazaki films for the first time. So Mill is largely inspired by Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, who's the title character of my favorite Miyazaki film. So like, I feel like Mill, when you leave her at the end of Brotherhood, I feel like she would evolve into someone who was like Nausicaa, who's like bold and brave, but she's also a pacifist and an empath. And so a lot of those characteristics like were really key to forming Mill. You mentioned the DS9 inspiration. So Rue Cornum is my grizzled Nemoidian guard who 
has done terrible things and seen a lot of death, but she's got a lot, really good heart. And so she is a cross between Deep Space Nine's Kira, Kira Norris, who, like, we, I think we were on our, like, second or third rewatch of DS9. <laughs> and when I, and so it was, like, heavily on my mind when I was writing Brotherhood. So a lot of her is crossed also with Mass Effect's Garrus Vicarian. I would say specifically, like, Mass Effect 1. And I gave Rook maroon-colored armor. So it's very similar to Kira's Bajoran uniform. You mentioned some of the younglings. So those are all named after my nerd friend's kids. So like Ami Katayama is Amy Katayama, my friend's, I think she's four years old now. So yes, yeah, so like my friend Steve, it's her, it's his daughter. Like we grew up watching Star Wars together. We went to the special edition, like the opening nights for those, like the prequel opening nights, like those circle of friends, like their kids are like planted into brotherhood. And then Noxie Kell is your friend and mine, Kelly Knox, a fellow Potathon participant. So while I was writing Brotherhood, I was getting bogged down, like searching for like these world building details. And I remember Kelly saying that she basically had like every DK reference book known to man. So I would DM her these random questions and she would take photos of the pages in her DK books showing these. So like, I remember very specifically I was like, what would be in Dex's diner that Obi-Wan could eat? And she sent me a photo of 6-6 six, six cake from some thing that she had. It was, I think it was like Star Wars baking or something like that. And I just thought it was hilarious that like they probably purchased a stock photo of cake. And just like, oh, we need to put something in this book. So like they just stuck it. In. But if you look at Kelly's feed, she actually bought and painted a minifigure as Noxie Kell. So Noxie Kell lives. It has like a tiny minifigure that that you can use for your own like storytelling or tabletop RPG needs. I love that. I'm going to work Noxie Kell in, into my next run for, for a TTRPG. That's got to happen. That is so cool. We are coming up a little close to tech, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch you a couple questions and then sure. we'll close out. So this was not your first rodeo as a writer. Do any of the things or characteristics or moments in Brotherhood, do they echo from any of your other? I would say like Delray hired me for a reason. It was nice that they asked me specifically to like write in my style, which means that it's very character focused and it's got these really tight narrative points of view. So most Star Wars books float around in third person omniscient but they gave me space to really get in Anakin's head or get in Obi-Wan's head and so part of this that I'm really glad that like they let me use is basically like a narrative bias in Star Wars so we don't get to see that much we, we see much more of like a top level view and so like with Anakin the goal was to like really feel like these are his passions these are the things that are driving him this is why Mace Windu annoys him even though Mace Windu is really not as much of a jerk as Anakin thinks like it was important to kind of like show that perspective and be able to like we see so much of these characters in clone wars we have like 7 seasons of them being brothers but like what is the transition between attack of the clones and clone wars and and because not a lot of time has passed between them and so there's really got to be an emotional transition for these two in order to get there. And so, like, it was nice that they said specifically, like, we want to ground the story in what these characters are feeling and have them, like, go through, like, an emotional transition so that we know that when they go from A to B, like, it's not just lightsaber fights. There has to be, a, like, a character reason for it. And so it's funny because I think, like, most 
most readers were really happy with this approach. They, they're just happy to spend like downtime with these characters, especially like the Anakin and Padme date night. Like that made a lot of people happy. And I think like the few people who like they didn't like it is because they wanted more of like a Clone Wars like pace to it, which happens more like the second half of the book. But the first half of the book is really about like, let's get to know them as people and experience like what they're feeling. So it's like I, I'm. I thought that there was an audience for this and it was really nice to see that like, yes, people wanted to just like spend time with them as people too and not just as action figures. Look, close out. You've got some really cool stuff coming up. So can you tell us a little bit about your upcoming projects? I know Vampire Weekend is like on the horizon. It's on the horizon. So Vampire Weekend is another take a story from a genre and then just give it a really tight character focus. So it is about a woman named Louise who, like me, is the child of immigrants and, like me, struggled with that sort of, like, identity culture clash. But unlike me, she became a vampire. <laughs> and that's, and so, well, okay, also like me, she tries to deal with it by throwing herself into punk rock and music, which is something that I did a lot in my teens and 20s. And because Louise is a vampire, she spends her immortality going to shows and playing in bands until she encounters a long-lost relative and then realizes that, oh, wait, you can't just stuff things down forever. Even if you're a vampire, even if you're a punk rocker, you got to deal with it sometimes. So that's coming out in January. I am working on, uh, I, I say it's as close to a romance as, I'm, I, as someone like me can write. It's a time loop story. It takes place, oh, I'm not even done with it. So I'm going to say it's a time loop romance and it will come out in hopefully a year as long as I can hit my deadlines. And I am really trying. <laughs> and then I have two very cool top secret projects that people who are watching this will enjoy. And that's all I can say right now. And well, it is more adventurous advice. You know who to come to. I also like the only thing I can say is like, it is, it's not what you expect. And that's all I can say. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. I, I just launched this show very recently. So like, Having you on and talking about this, especially here on Podathon, where we're raising some money for Make-A-Wish, benefiting people who need it, just means a lot to me. So thanks for making the time. Thank you for having me. This You answered all my questions about Ventress's skirt and her cloak and how her lightsabers hang. So anything I can do. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in, folks. I'm going to turn it back to Podathon. And Mike, where would we find you on the internet if we were looking? Oh, so I have a website that I never update at MikeChenBooks.com. I really need to update that. Most of my activity is up on Twitter, where if you have Star Wars questions or want to talk about Mass Effect or Star Trek or Doctor Who or anything, like I am happy to chat about these things. I am also on Instagram at MikeChenWriter. So MikeChenWriter for both Twitter and Instagram. But Instagram is mostly like pictures of my dog. And like places I go hiking with my daughter. It's really not that exciting. I don't even know how to use it. I don't use Instagram properly either. But you guys can find me there and on Twitter or anywhere on the internet. If you look for Ocatrina, that's O-H-C-A-T-R-I-N-A. I host so many podcasts that it would take up way too much time to mention them. But you can find them all on my Twitter account. Thanks so much for having us, Podathon. And may the force be with you. Bye.